0: In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Last week, uh, Canon Bales, in um, helping us to understand the difference between kings we know now and the real King Jesus, shared this really touching illustration about his four-year-old daughter's wardrobe that's got all these princes, princesses dresses, contrast that with the reality, contrasting that with the reality of what leadership actually looks like in our world. And then as I began looking at the text for this week of Advent 1, which is looking forward to the Lord's return and His establishing true rule, I found myself thinking But all the little girls who grow up looking for princes, only to find in this life grasping, hurting monsters. Little boys who grow up being told that coaches will reward hustle, only to find what seemed to be the situation in which the rich kids and the kids with good-looking moms get all the playing time. A world in which kids go off to school thinking that teachers will reward effort and that they'll make lots of friends, only to find teachers playing favorites and playgrounds given over to the Lord of the Flies. Why do we need an Advent? Because that's the world that we live in. Advent is a call to three things. Advent is a call to a certain discontentment, a discontentment with the way things are. Second, Advent is a call to a sober despair, a despair that that we could ever fix it. And third, Advent is a call nonetheless to a stubborn hope, a hope that God is in the business of fixing it all. So first, Advent is a call to a certain kind of discontentment, a call for you and me actually to share God's discontentment with the way things are. It's a call for you and me to tap into that inner child who got bullied on the playground and and said, that's not right, or who got touched in the wrong way and said, this can't be right. No, it's not right. Think about the vision of Psalm 122 that we listened to this morning. This gorgeous picture of the unity within God's people designed to be a picture for the rest of humanity of the unity between heaven and earth, restored once again. But I just finished reading the the history books in the Old Testament from 1 Samuel through 2 Kings. And that's not the situation that unfolded. God's people were wracked by civil war, their own north versus south, and even good kings solidified their power through assassination and compromising marriages of convenience. Isaiah's picture of Israel in today's reading from Isaiah chapter 2, God's vision of God's people being themselves a source of wisdom and goodness and truth for all the rest of the world. And yet the reason that Isaiah is called to be a prophet is to tell Israel and Judah that they're going into exile because they've been besmirched by their unfaithfulness to that call, and then ravaged by their enemies. The Lord's disciplining hand, but then those nations called to be instruments of discipline in God's hands will themselves be mastered by their own pride and be wicked destroyers. If you follow the daily office from our Book of Common Prayer, you know that this week's Old Testament readings were from various prophets calling upon us to share God's discontent. Even His wrath against all the evil and all the injustice The prophet Joel, for instance. Joel could have been reading today's headlines when he rails against the dispossession of people that he loves, plucking people out of their homeland, people trading little boys for sexual favors, and selling their daughters, and that for nothing more than wine to get drunk on. It's amazing the things that wind up in our Holy Bible. Joel chapter 3, verses 2 and 3. Look it up. So, Advent is a call to a certain kind of discontentment. It's not, it's not right. It's not the way it's supposed to be. And then Advent is a call to a sober despair. The realization that in the world that we know, there is no adult on the playground. There's nobody that's going to make it right. Left to ourselves, we live under the Lord of the flies. And it's not like God can come and help us imagine a better world and then step back and leave it to us to implement it. Advent recognizes we're not going to work our way out of the mess that we're in. We're not going to figure it out. We're not going to be able to legislate our way out of it. The way the world is, is what Paul says about what characterizes this era of darkness. Reveling and drunkenness, debauchery and licentiousness, quarreling and jealousy, God's image bearers bearing the image of another captive to an evil intelligence that has people in the grip of -of out-of-control, self-destructive passions and murderous intentions towards one another. And you and I, we're not going to nice our neighbors out of it nor are we going to will ourselves out of our own obsessions and addictions. Please don't get me wrong. We can be grateful for every act of every person who resists evil. For heroes who step forward, even if all they bear are narwhal tusks or fire extinguishers. We can be grateful for even aspire to be Jackie Dowds, I dignities, recently deceased chief lawyer who worked tirelessly for those who don't know how to secure their own rights. We can be grateful for and support politicians who do all they can to promote righteousness and frustrate foolishness. But none of it is going to save us. Republicans aren't going to save us. Democrats aren't going to save us. The problems outside us are too systemically complex. The problems inside us are too deeply ingrained. That's why, despairing of merely earthly answers, Advent hymns point us beyond ourselves. Lo, he comes with clouds descending. Forth he comes, her bridegroom glorious. Lo, the lamb so long expected comes with pardon down from heaven. When next he comes and the world is wrapped in fear, may he with his mercy shield us and with words of love draw near. And so, Advent is a call to a certain kind of discontentment, a sober despair, but just so, it's a call to a stubborn hope. Advent is a call to look up because Advent is about the God who reveals himself as the one who is himself everything that is right and who simply cannot not make things right. That's why in Genesis chapter 18, Abraham, considering the threat to Sodom and Gomorrah, dares to remind God that he, God, is just. Shall not the judge of all the world do what is just? The God of the Bible is one who does right. And who makes things right. And that's why budding 4th century Egyptian theologian, the 20-something-year-old Athanasius, considering the fall of Adam and Eve in the garden, could assert it would have been monstrous if God had let the devil have his way with the human race. What then, Athanasius asks, what then was God being God to do? Simple. God sent his son to accomplish on the cross our forgiveness and to reverse in his sending of the spirit, to reverse the corruption of being that had taken hold inside us. God sent his son at Christmas to make things right. And he will send him again to finish making all things new. That's why we have an Advent. An Advent's chief message is this: Just as he did come once in humility to make us sons and daughters by his death and resurrection, now the time is right around the corner for him to come again, this time in glory to make an end to all that continues to blemish his creation, including you and me. Advent is an undying belief that the God of all righteousness cannot not make all things right that he has his own reasons for taking his own sweet time about it, but that the resolution of the story, the cosmic story, and your own personal story is going to be beyond satisfying. And so, says the Apostle Paul, mirroring his master Jesus, it's time to wake up Night is far gone, the day is near, live as though the daylight were full. In the th- Paul traveled thousands of miles to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. In the thousands of miles he traveled, by land and by sea, how many mornings? Must the apostle have awoken before sunrise? Now, I know that many of you can relate to this experience. Some of you cannot. But waking up before sunrise. Watching the pre-dawn light show during that magical 45 minutes or so before sunrise. Oh, it's gorgeous. The black sky beginning to lose some of its blackness, hinting at big change ahead. The morning star, Venus, heralding the coming of Earth's own star, the sun. Deep oranges and purples emerging. And then slowly but inexorably giving way to peaches, and lighter blues, and then all of a sudden, there's sun, and the darkness is gone. Every morning, the sun can't not come up. You and I can wake up every morning knowing that the sun of righteousness cannot not return to finish what he began at Christmas. And so, Advent breaks in once more this year, renewing its challenge to you and me to a certain discontentment with the way things are, with a sober despair that we're ever going to fix our situation or ourselves, and with a stubborn hope that the Prince is coming a prince who will dispatch the monsters and tenderly hold his bride, each of us, in nail-scarred hands. And so it is, as we have already sung, and as we will hear once more in a few moments from the hymn writer Philip Nikolai. Forth he comes, her bridegroom glorious, in strength of grace, in truth victorious. Her star is risen, her light grows bright. Now come, most worthy Lord, God's Son, incarnate word, Alleluia. We follow all and heed your call to come into the banquet hall. Amen.